few years ago, Yale University did a study which led them to identify the 10 most persuasive words in the English language. In other words, if I wanted to sell you something or if I wanted to try to talk you into doing something, there are certain words I should work into my pitch. And I'm going to show you the list, and we'll start with number 10 and work our way down to number one, which would be the most persuasive word in the English language. Number 10 is the word easy. And that's not a surprise, right? I mean, we want things to be easy. Number nine, not a surprise again, would be money. We're all interested in money. Uh, number eight would be save. We like to save, don't we? Uh, number seven would be love. Number six, new. Number five, discovery. Number four, results. We all want results. Number three, proven. Number two, guarantee. That's not a surprise. And the number one most persuasive word in the English language is the word you. Watch any TV commercial and you'll notice they talk about you as much as they talk about their product. They'll tell you how you'll love it, you'll be more comfortable, you'll sleep better, you'll make more money, you'll have more fun, you'll impress your friends, and of course, you'll save money. I dare say that we know what the words Aflac and Geico mean. Not because you can look those words up in a dictionary, but because we've seen the commercials. And we know that they have found clever ways to tell you how you can save money if you'll just buy their product. In fact, you can have a little fun with this list um, I just gave you. You can watch TV, and when you see a commercial come up, just count the number of times those 10 words are used in the commercial. Experts say that at least half of those words will be used in every commercial, and sometimes more than half. Advertisers know better than anybody that how you present something makes all the difference. Politicians know it too. The New Yorker magazine did a study a few years ago. They analyzed Barack Obama's speeches and actually concluded, they parsed the words, and they concluded that about 7% of the words that came out of his mouth in his speeches were either the word you or some form of the word you. Now that's an enormous number. You have to really work at using the word you seven times out of every hundred words you speak. But he did it. His speechwriters and he understood one of leadership's most important truths, and that is that how you present something matters. And that brings me to Jesus. Last week in a message called Jesus Predicted, we talked about the prophets of the Old Testament and how they foretold Jesus' arrival. There are 300, over 300 messianic prophecies in the Old Testament, and that created a tremendous amount of anticipation in the hearts of the Jewish people. They knew their Savior was coming. They just didn't know exactly when. 
And so today's message is called Jesus Presented. The people of God, the Jews, waited and waited and waited and waited and waited, actually waited for hundreds of years. And then finally, the Messiah came. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 says, When the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman. What I want to talk to you about this morning is how God presented his son to the world. And I want you to know up front that the experts would say he blew it. Based on everything we're going to talk about today and understanding that, that how you present something really matters, I want you to know the experts would say God fumbled the ball on the one-yard line when he brought Jesus into the world. He just did it all wrong. Now, why do I say that? Why would anybody say that? Well, all you have to do is go up to Books A Million and find the business section of the bookstore. And in the business section, you'll find all kinds of resources on how to make an effective presentation. And if you look at those resources, and you begin to think about them and, and, and relate them to the Christmas story, you will begin to understand that God violated, God broke every presentation rule in the book when he gave his son to the world. Let me give you some examples of what I'm talking First of all, the experts say that a presentation needs to be flashy or clever so it will grab people's attention. And we know this. If you've ever watched Super Bowl commercials, you know this. My favorite from last year was the Hyundai commercial with the guy running the elevator up and down. Do you remember that one? The couple gets on the elevator, and they say, we're going car shopping. And the elevator operator says, oh, you're going down. And he starts that elevator down, and they pass all those floors where uncomfortable things happen. You know, the root canal floor and the jury duty floor and the middle seat on the airplane floor. And they finally get to the very bottom floor, and that's the car salesman floor. And the door opens, and the couple looks at the elevator operator, and they say, oh, but we're buying a Hyundai. And the elevator operator says, oh, you're going up. And so he starts the elevator up where all the wonderful things happen. Companies spend millions of dollars to produce these commercials, flashy and clever commercials, because they know flashy and clever works. Think about a new movie release. Before that movie comes out, you're going to see the trailer a dozen times. You're going to see the movie-themed toys in the Happy Meal boxes at McDonald's. You're going to see T-shirts at Walmart. You're going to find a game for your phone. They try to make as big a splash in pop culture as they can because they know they want to grab people's attention. But when God presented his son to the world, it was anything but flashy. Bethlehem, for example, was not exactly the first century equivalent of Times Square. It was a little town a few miles outside of Jerusalem, a little town that had an interesting history. But at that point in time, not much was happening there. Um, as related to Jerusalem, Bethlehem was kind of like St. Cloud as related to Orlando. Not a bad place, but not as important as Orlando, right? 
Um, and then there was the birth itself. Talk about quiet and unassuming. It was so quiet, so unassuming that people just a few feet away in the end didn't even realize anything was happening. And I think that's amazing. If you think about it, this is the greatest event that's ever happened in the history of the world up to that point. Literally, God stepping into the human race and becoming a real person, getting ready to change everything about the way people thought about God and about religion and all that. And yet it happened with all the impact of a whisper in a 40-mile-an-hour It wasn't flashy. It wasn't clever. And that's one reason why the presentation experts would say, oh, God, you blew it. Secondly, the experts would say that a presentation needs to be fast-paced so people uh, don't get bored and lose interest. Um, I belong to an online community of authors, and one of the benefits I get from that is a, a series of articles that just kind of come to my inbox uh, about the craft of writing, and they contain all kinds of uh, tips on how to be a better writer. And not long ago, I received an article about pacing. And pacing is very important in storytelling. Let's say uh, you're writing a novel. You've got to keep the story moving. You can't let it get bogged down. Uh, the article said that in order for a novel to have good pace and keep the reader's interest, something needs to happen to move the story forward every three pages. And something major needs to happen every six pages. And that sounds like a lot, doesn't it? But if you're reading a novel and you go through six, ten, twelve pages and nothing happens, what's going to happen? You're going to get bored with it. I've read hundreds of novels. I've quit on hundreds more. And most of the time when I quit on a novel, I think, eh, I'm not enjoying this and throw it aside. It's because nothing is happening. The story is bogged down. It's not moving along. Think back to your school days. Were your favorite teachers the ones who just stood behind the lectern and droned on and on and on in a monotone? Or were your favorite teachers the ones that made learning interesting by engaging you in the process with interactive activities, film clips, guest speakers, experiments, whatever? Friends, human nature is such that we can't sit still for very long without getting bored. And all the experts agree that if you're giving a presentation, man, you've got to keep it moving. You've got to make it snappy to hold people's interest. But when God presented his son to the world, it was anything but a fast-paced story. Jesus was born in a manger. And then you know what happened? Pretty much nothing. Some shepherds showed up, paid their respects to the baby Jesus, and left. That was about it. The next thing that happened was the wise men came. Most scholars believe that was probably two years later. The story we have in Scripture is compressed. We read it over the span of a couple of chapters, and so it feels like it's moving right along, right? In real life, in real time, it was slow. 
It happened at a snail's pace. The experts would look at that and say, God, you did it all wrong. It needed to be snappier. It needed to move along. But it didn't. In fact, it was 30 years before Jesus even began his ministry. Thirdly, the experts say that a presentation needs to be supported by credentialed experts. And if you can get a few celebrity endorsements, that's even better. For example, when you see those fitness equipment uh, commercials being advertised. It's never some dude that's 100 pounds overweight on that bike. And it's always somebody who's ripped like me. I just want to see if you were still listening. When you see an AARP commercial, it's always a senior citizen that's doing the talking because they have you know expertise in that life. Um, when you see sneakers or Gatorade being advertised, it's always a world-class athlete working, sweating. In fact, many athletes make more money on their endorsements than they do playing their actual sport. And the reason companies are willing to pay so much money is because they understand the, the importance of a good endorsement. But when God presented his son to the world, he didn't have any credentialed experts he didn't have any Old Testament scholars right outside the manger area to provide documentation for anybody who might have a question about whether this really was the Messiah. They could have had people out there, the, the experts, they could have had the scrolls that had all the Old Testament prophecies on them so that if anybody wanted to come and, and, and really find out, is this really the Messiah, they could have had the experts there to, to provide the credentials. But they didn't. In fact, the only people who showed up were shepherds. And in that time, shepherds were so disrespected. They were thought to be so disreputable in those days that a shepherd was not even allowed to give testimony in a court of law. Nobody believed a shepherd. So the presentation experts would look at this and they would say, God, you knew it. But did he? When I think through all these things that I just shared with you, a verse of scripture comes to mind. And I know you've heard it before. It's Isaiah 55, verse 8. That's where God says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. And my ways are beyond anything you can imagine. And I know the experts would say that God botched this presentation. But my faith compels me to believe that it only looks that way on the surface. That in fact, God knew exactly what he was doing when he presented his son to the world in this way. I believe God was sending three simple messages in the way he presented his son to the world. First of all, I believe he was telling us that he values purity. He could have chosen any woman to be the mother of his son. He chose, though, a young virgin. And I think what the angel said to Mary at the very beginning is, is very interesting. He said, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Wait a minute. Favored woman? 
favored woman. I thought God didn't play favorites. Well, he doesn't when it comes to salvation. But make no mistake, he does when it comes to choosing the people he's going to use and the people he's going to bless. And if you wonder about that, if you doubt that, go back and read Matthew chapter 5. Read the Beatitudes. It's a whole long list of the types of people he will bless. And it says in verse 8, God blesses those who are What better way could there be for that message to get across to people than for him to choose a virgin to be the mother of his son? Now, there had to be other godly women who were married and had children who would have been much more experienced at parenting and would have done a great job. But Mary exemplified that special quality of purity that God values so much. Secondly, in the way God presented his son to the world, I believe he was telling us that he values simplicity. It's astonishing to me that God could pull off such a world-altering event with so little disruption to the lives of people. As I said a moment ago, people just a few feet away in the end didn't even realize anything unusual was happening. If Hollywood scriptwriter had had choreographed this whole story, you can bet there would have been high drama and subplots and cliffhangers. But God kept it so simple. And in doing so, I think he was showing the world what simplicity looks like. And I'll tell you what, the Jews at that time had forgotten what simplicity looks like. You have to understand, the Jews of the first century were adherents to one of the most complicated religions the world has ever known. There were all kinds of laws and rules that they had to adhere to, and it was even worse than God intended for it to be because the Pharisees, the guys who led the religion, kept adding rules to the ones God had already given. In fact, to show you how complicated their religion was, Jesus, as a grown man during his ministry, got so fed up with all the complexity, he finally said, look, look, it all boils down to two things. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Things had gotten too complex, too complicated, and Jesus was trying to simplify, simplify, simplify. And today in our world, we, we tend to gravitate toward complexity. We fill our minds with all kinds of rules and obligations. We fill our calendars with activities. It gets to the place where just being a Christian is exhausting. And I talked about that last week. But God never asked us to do that. God never intended for, for our faith, our walk with him to be, to be um, just overwhelmingly complex. He wants it to be simple. And in the way he presented his son to this world, he's showing, say, here's how you do stuff. Keep it simple. Finally, in the way God presented his son to the world, I believe he was telling us that he values humility. The word manger refers to a, a feeding trough for animals, and we generally picture, picture it in our modern-day nativity scenes. We generally picture it in a barn, and it could have been in a barn. Many scholars think it might have been a cave, maybe a shallow cave where uh, animals were kept. Either way, it would have smelled the same, right? 
Because animal dung doesn't smell any better in a cave or a barn, right? The point is, it wasn't what was over Jesus' head that matters. It was what was under his feet. Imagine those little lungs drawing in their first breath. It wasn't the smell of silk or lilacs or perfume that drew into those little nostrils. It was the stench of dung. An immediate and powerful harbinger of what was to come. For Jesus did not live a life of privilege, of pampering. He lived a life of hardship, sacrifice. God could have put Mary and Joseph in the Bethlehem Marriott. But he chose a sheep. where the smell of dung was in the air. Because God loves humility. Friends, here's what I'm saying to you this morning. God knew exactly what he was doing when he presented his son to the world. Experts might scoff and say that he did it all wrong. If you look deeper, into this story, you begin to realize that from start to finish, God was revealing himself through this presentation. He was letting uh, the world see his character and his values in the way he presented his son. The reason this story unfolds like no other is because we have a God like no other. And that's why it's so important that we preserve and protect and proclaim the true Christmas story. That's why it's so important that we do things like the drive through Christmas story, because it isn't just a story we're presenting to our community. It's God that we're presenting to our community. If you're serving this weekend, uh, if you served last night and you're here today, you're probably a little tired. If you're uh, serving again this evening after serving last night, you're probably thinking, oh, man, I'm really going to be tired. Uh, maybe you're not looking forward to work on Monday because of how tired you know you're going to feel. I, I want to encourage you by reminding you that because of the collective efforts of everybody involved, um, people who really need to think about God are going to drive through here and have an opportunity to do it. The sets, the lights, the costumes, the hay, the music, the characters. It seems like such a chore. I know. When you have to come early and you work and you set up and you tear down, I, I understand. It's work. But you need to understand that those efforts have eternal impact. Eternal significance. If somebody, even one person, drives around and, and experiences this event, if even one person feels compelled to think more seriously about God, then it has eternal significance. Do not take what you are doing here this weekend lightly. It is important. It can be life-changing for people. I was told last night by our end-greeters that the people at the, the last station, right before people drive off the property, we have a team there uh, dressed in their Dickens outfits, and they, and they give a little bag of candy 
uh, to our visitors and, and wish them Merry Christmas. And I walked out there last night during the event, and um, I was told that so many people were, were going through with tears. We can't begin to understand or to even know what God is doing in the hearts of people because of the work we're putting in. Do not take this event, this weekend, don't take it lightly. God could be doing a mighty work in many lives. God made a perfect unconventional, but perfect presentation of his son. It is our responsibility to keep presenting the world, our community, 